Amen. We're going to continue to worship this morning um, by opening the scriptures, and we're going to read our gospel reading for this week from the gospel of Mark. So we're in Mark uh, chapter 8, and these five verses from Mark. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We pray May God add a blessing to the hearing and the doing of the word today. We're in this season of Lent and we're journeying on the way to Easter. Encounters with Jesus is the series we're in. And Lent this year, we've been saying it every week, but it does intersect with our lives in such a different way this year. And I don't know about you, but this has been a long lockdown. And many of us are perhaps feeling tired and weary from that, fed up. And that's perfectly normal. It has been a, a long year, and particularly since the turn of the year, it's been a long few months. But Lent itself is a perfect season for us to be in because the word Lent actually means spring forth. And so Lent is, a, I guess, a season where we can prepare ourselves to simply to wait on the Lord um, and prepare the ground of our hearts that, that new life would spring forth from that in due time. And as we move towards Easter and the central events of our faith, the death and the resurrection of Christ, we anticipate the springing forth of life in, in more ways than one. And we pray real prayers this year that this year in 2021 would see life springing forth after a real season of weariness and tiredness and um, lockdown and all of that. So as we draw close to Christ in this season, we find solidarity with him to grieve, to repent, and to refocus. And as I say, we prepare the ground of our hearts that resurrection life would spring forth. And this is the good news, the gospel, that God is remaking this world around this axis, axis of love. We're going to continue that series this morning, Encounters with Jesus, and we're going to speak about this passage we've just read. Before I do that, I've used this analogy before, but I want to read it again. This collection of essays by the Indian-born writer Salman Rushdie entitled Step Across the Line. There is an essay on the Taj Mahal, and he writes this. The problem with the Taj Mahal is that it has become so overlaid with accumulated meanings as to be almost impossible to see. When you arrive at the outer walls of the gardens in which the Taj is set, it's as if every hustler and hawker in Agra is waiting for you to make the familiarity breeds contempt problem worse, peddling imitation mahals of every size and price. This leads to a certain amount of shoulder-shrugging disenchantment. 
Recently, a, f- a British friend who was about to make his first visit to India told me that he decided to leave the, ta- the tie off his itinerary because of its overexposure. If I urged him not to, it's because of my own vivid memory of pushing my way for the very first time through the jostling crowd of imitation vendors, past all the myriad hawkers of meaning and interpretation, and into the very presence of the thing itself, which utterly overwhelmed me and made my notions about its devaluation feel totally and completely redundant. The building itself left my skepticism in shreds, announcing itself as itself, insisting with absolute force on its sovereign authority. It simply obliterated the million, million counterfeits of it and glowingly filled once and forever the place in the mind that was previously occupied by its malacra. That's a beautiful little piece of writing from Salman Rushdie, the essay on the Taj Mahal. It's a perfect illustration of perhaps what can happen, what may have happened to to our vision, not of the Taj Mahal, but of Christ himself. Over time, the question we all continually need to be asking is if we've tamed or domesticated or diluted Jesus into a completely different Jesus than the real presence and person of Christ. Do we end up missing the utterly captivating and radical and compelling Jesus by taming him down or boxing him in or restricting his impact on our lives? Have we neutralized Jesus to let our own agendas rule? Maybe the real Jesus is just too difficult to deal with, too intense, or causes too much inconvenience. Or maybe there's just too much grace that Jesus is just too scandalous. Maybe he's just too much. Maybe he's tarnished. And we need to perhaps scrape that tarnish off, in a sense, to see the real, unfiltered Jesus. And today's encounter with Jesus does that in a way that maybe no other passage um, does. It exposes the radical message and heart of Jesus' mission. It says in verse 31 of Mark that he began to teach them and he gra- gathered a crowd together and began to teach them that the way of God in the world is not what they thought at all. And he says it like this, whoever d- desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will find it. And he says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And in these few verses, Jesus unpacks the radical message that he came to bring. His, his theology of followership or discipleship, those sort of churchy words that we use, the theology of what it means to actually follow Christ the real Christ, um, and it just exposes, I guess, the upside-down workings of the kingdom of God. And it is a hard message, but a joyful message that does lead to abundant life, but it's going yeah, to profit us today to just look into it again, to follow the king of the world, the Messiah, the one who made the very cosmos, the one who has promised in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Jewish story, and right through Christ, 
there is a grand sweeping narrative of this divine presence remaking all creation and manifest in the person of Christ. This king came to suffer and to, to die, to give his life up. And we then have to follow his example in our lives. That is the heart of Jesus teaching here to his disciples, to, to follow this way of the cross, to follow and um, to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, to lose our lives so that we might find it. It's a hard teaching. It was a hard teaching for the disciples to understand because in their context, they were wanting Jesus to come and to rule as the Messiah, to be the new Caesar in town, to overthrow the rulers and the authorities, to come on the, on the white horse, so to speak, and enforce uh, the rule of God in that way. In fact, Jesus, in the gospel of Mark alone, Jesus predicts his death three times. And in all three times, the disciples just completely fail to understand or respond appropriately. They just basically weren't getting it. Perhaps it's the same sometimes for us too. We, like the disciples, can have that same reaction. Why is this the way? Why is this the way? Surely not, Jesus. We didn't sign up for failure. We want to win. We want to be successful. I've, I've spoken about this personally in my own life, knowing that a few times, and that was the way I had sort of thought in my head, consciously or subconsciously, how I was formed growing up, that life itself was about succeeding, achieving. Um, but I came to begin to learn, I guess, around 2015, 2016, as my life got turned sort of upside down in, in so many different ways, that life is not this game to win, that success is not the point. Have you discovered that yet? It's really liberating and it's really countercultural. It's also really challenging. Most of us have been scripted in our culture to think that life is a kind of a kind of game where you get ahead, a challenge or a race to the top, a purpose to, to win and to succeed, aim for greatness. And of course, aspiration is a good thing. Progress is a good thing, but in a sense, this is not the meaning of life. It's not what the kingdom of, of God is about. These teachings and Jesus lived examples show us, it, show us that his life calls out this. It calls us to, to win not by succeeding or achieving, but by, by losing our lives, by giving our lives up, by taking up our cross, which is so radically countercultural. It's nearly like the real Jesus has been lost over the years with all the polish and it's been tarnished with the sheen that has really obscured our view of what Christ is really all about. And the paradox here is that Jesus had to come to show us how to live the way of God out in the world. And he came and showed us with his own life. What does this take up your cross look like? Well, if we'd lived under uh, the Roman-occupied Palestine, like the disciples were, we'd have seen often maybe a man or several men carrying crosses, a, a padabulum or a crossbar just over the back of the neck, walking through 
the town or the city, we would not have asked, what is he doing? We would have completely known that that person was on their way as a condemned criminal to their execution. It was completely normal. For the Romans, they compelled uh, and sent uh, those that were sentenced, they compelled those in sentence, sentenced those to death, those that, uh, uh, to carry their own crosses, those sentenced to death, they asked to carry their own crosses to their own site of crucifixion. So there was this dramatic imagery of condemned criminals sentenced to death, carrying the very cross that they were going to be crucified on through the town or through the city through the marketplace. That was a normal everyday occurrence. And it's dramatic imagery for us today in modern 21st century, post-enlightenment, multicultural, global life. To think of criminals being put to death in that way, humiliated and shamed in the public square. And this is the imagery that Jesus uses when he speaks about what it means to follow him. If we're to follow Jesus, there is only one place for which we are going to go. And it's is a message of hope. But it, but it is true that the place and the way to life is through death, the place of surrender. It is at the very heart of the Christian story. It's at the very heart of the Easter message. It's at the very heart of Christian faith. It's the paradox that life comes from death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a brilliant German theologian, just says this so simply, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. N.C. Wright speaks of this saying, following Jesus is more or less Mark's definition of what being a Christian means, and Jesus is not leading us on a pleasant afternoon hike, but on a walk into danger and risk. Or did we suppose that the kingdom of God would mean merely a few minor adjustments in our ordinary lives? What is more, according to Luke, we are to take up our cross every day. And if we do not, Luke says we cannot be his disciple. It's pretty, pretty hard language in that sense. It's a high call. And yet we encounter the real Jesus in this paradoxical promise. If we are to follow him, we encounter Christ right there with us. It's a challenge for us today, I think, because the language of our culture is so, off, so opposite from, from that. The language of our culture is to to find ourselves, to, to self-actualize, to individualism, to dominate, to hustle, to win. We hear that phrase often, history is written by the winners. And more worryingly is that our culture, and sometimes even Christian culture, churches, can use the same message. And they even use Jesus to perpetuate a message like that to be allocating Jesus to be chaplain to other agendas, whether it's the agenda of war, political agendas, economic agendas, wielding power, all for the sake of winning, dominating, achieving, succeeding, appearing strong. 
But this kind of Jesus that's propped up as a chaplain to the world's agendas is a cheap imitation. Like the Taj Mahal story at the beginning, it's a skewered and lacquered Jesus that isn't really reflective of the real Christ. There's an author who I, I love, Richard Rohr, and he has an excellent book called Falling Upwards, which I really recommend, that digs into a lot of this. And he says that so much of the teaching and culture that has emerged in recent Christianity has got more to do with Greek philosophy and Roman mythology than the gospel. And it's not all bad, but we must acknowledge these influences, that the ego is naturally attracted to heroic language. And so we focus on the heroic rather than the transformative. Zeus instead of Trinity, Prometheus and Ulysses instead of the suffering servant foretold by Isaiah. Jesus' teaching was more about becoming a loving and humble and servant-like person than any construct of hero by normal standards. Jesus embodied a whole new meaning to the words power and glory. His message was to lose your life in order to win, to serve, to surrender, to let go in order to gain what is really of worth, to die in order to really live. And it's radical. And it will take us a lifetime of journeying with Christ to fully understand it and fully uncover it and maybe even to fully or get anywhere near close to actually embodying it in our lives. I think to do this, to take Jesus at his word, to look at the gospel reading today and all that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and trying to teach us today, I believe that it, it's a great invitation to us to ruthless trust. We must ruthlessly trust if we are to believe this and take this on, if we are to lose our lives in order to find it, if we are to take up our crosses, there is a, an invitation to ruthless trust in him, to surrender our, our wills and our desires, even during this time that we're living in now when we so hope and wish that things could be so different, to continue again and again, even during a pandemic, even in lockdown, even with all the circumstances going on in the world, to, to surrender our agendas, to surrender our hopes and desires, to take up our cross, to, to be conformed to this cruciform way of life that Jesus calls us to, trusting that somewhere in that life is real life, abundant life, and it takes ruthless trust to do that. But every day, no matter where we are today, no matter where you find yourself spiritually, whether you find yourself hemmed in and at home in God, or whether you're spiritually adrift or you feel like you're spiritually adrift, know that there is always a new day, a second chance, a new opportunity for all of us every day to respond to this invitation, to this whisper of the Father, to be drawn into this life where we yield ourselves to Christ and say, yes, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. John Stott 
said this, it affirms that there is a kind of life which actually leads to death, and there's also a kind of death that actually leads to life. The paradox of the Christian story right there. If we are in Christ today, we are forgiven and we are free from the power of death and we are liberated. And we're called to this life of carrying our cross, of discipleship, of of the radical taking up of the cross, of letting go of our notions of winning and succeeding and thinking that life is just about that and entering into this new space, this space of, of deep, ruthless trust, dependence on, on God and real freedom in that, liberation in that. Walter Brueggemann speaks about this. It's quite funny. He says that the problem with the, the, the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. I thought that was quite funny. Or as Jesus puts it, what do you gain if you win at all but lose your own soul? In the place that uh, the script of our lives that we've been taught is about winning and Jesus is trying to undo all that. He says, no, there is great life when you surrender. Surrender is a gift and the purpose of life is to love and to love well. Self-sacrificial love, following the example of Christ to give up our lives for others. So as we come to land today in this summary of this deep and difficult and amazing and beautiful paradoxical call of Christ to follow him, to take up our crosses. There's an invitation again for us in grace to to choose that, to enter into this way again, to say, yes, I'm giving my life to that. Jesus was not this powerful or effective or efficient Messiah. He wasn't the one that the Jews had hoped for in that sense or even sometimes the kind of Lord, the kind of God that Christians seem to want for that matter. But like Paul says, God chooses the foolish and the weak and the despised so that no man should boast. There's something about the way that God works in the world that is unlike the way that we work. And the hope of the gospel, the revelation of the death and the resurrection of Jesus forever redefines what winning and success even look like. The definitions are redefined. And it's not what any of us perhaps wanted or expected, but on the cross, God is revealed as vulnerability itself, as complete openness itself, woundedness, as Christ stretched forth his arms on the cross in a posture of ultimate vulnerability, he demonstrates what it means to just lose your life to find it. And it's a message, as I say over and over again, that is hard, but it's hard to miss too when you look at the words of Jesus and you look at the face of Christ and you peel back the varnish and the sheen and encounter today the real Christ. There is an invitation not to transactional Christianity, not to consumer Christianity, but to transformative life in God. It's a beautiful message. The humanity can be transformed when we choose the Jesus way. I'll finish with this beautiful quote that sums it all up by Brian Zand. He says this, that Jesus invites us 
not to march to greatness, but in the cross-carrying way of self-denial. This and this alone is the way of true discipleship, and it is the way to abundant life.